Thanks to each of you and welcome today in joining us as we welcome in this new year. And just as jo Justin has prayed, um, so much more that we want to say about the togetherness and the connection of the body of Christ that it's such a great need today. And there, mo for many of us, there are small ways we need to just nurture that by faith, use every opportunity we have to bring a word of encouragement to others. In fact, that's, that's one of the key action items that we'll see today in uh, talking about tackling your todays. The children's class today has their last time at this point planned for the combined class down the hall uh, because next Sunday they begin again the uh, moving back into the gospel project curriculum. Um, really glad about that, that um, after the uh, March of 2020, when basically everything just had to come to a grinding halt on that, um, and the reconfigured kids' class ministry that's been so, so good all through this year is just a great credit to, to Marsha Nussbaum and Jody Smith in coordinating the details for it, and then all of each of you that have taught, uh, Karen and Maureen and... Uh, um, who am I forgetting? Somebody else that's taught back there. But we're so grateful for each of you teaching. I want to invite you today in your Bible to go to a chapter in the book of Hebrews that is in one chapter, I believe, a great way to relaunch the motivational principle of believing God for a clear path in your future, as well as this chapter, the third chapter chapter of the book of Hebrews also gives us a great insight into the cure for one of the greatest problems among many, many, many segments of the family of God today, and that is disillusionment. The third chapter of the book of Hebrews is our primary section we'll be looking at in a few minutes, and I'd like you to find it first with a just a quick um, overview, look at the, uh, the structure of the chapter itself, because we're, we don't do this every Sunday, but we're going to take this chapter as a whole today, the 19 verses of Hebrews chapter 3, because contained here, as we'll see, is a, is a kind of a template. I see it sort of like as a structure of truth that can powerfully give each follower of Jesus the, the energy, the motivation, and the perspective to relaunch a, an expectancy toward this new year, setting goals, looking ahead, taking this to heart that 2022, as we welcome a new year, truly is a God-given, timely opportunity for us to activate four powerful imperatives that we'll see in the chapter. But before we look at that part of it, uh, really the message part, I'd like you to look at the structure of this chapter for a moment, just a quick overview. S many times it's helpful to see the flow of the truth that is compacted in, in a series of paragraphs, and particularly in a chapter like this, where the actual conclusion of this, of this um, call to trust is wrapped around an abiding truth that applies to 2022. It helps us say, yes, Happy New Year 2022. 
because it talks about entering into rest. Now, this is developed more in the fourth chapter with the comparison to the days of Joshua. But notice three things first in the third chapter that this chapter is three sections, three paragraphs, we might say. And it's kind of interesting that out of 19 19 verses, that 14 of them at the beginning and the end together are the body of what we want to talk about. And in the very middle, if you look at verse 7 through 11, there are five verses that are a complete quote taken from the Old Testament. And I'd like you to see that just as an overview first to think about it this way, that when you look at the third chapter of Hebrews, out of 19 verses, five of them are directly from Psalm 95. In fact, you might want to hold open to Psalm 95 and just put a marker there because we're not going to actually go back and read it, but it would be a a good way to toggle back and, and see the connection here and understand it. It's in the slides in a few minutes. But I want you to see the structure because I think it will help us to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying when we realize that verses 1 through 6 of Hebrews 3 is bringing to you and me the comparison that Jesus our Lord is far superior to the ministry of Moses. Now this carries a theme that all goes all through the book of Hebrews, which is Christ is better, the superiority, the supremacy of Jesus. In chapter 1, Jesus is better than the angels. In chapter 2, he's superior to the covenant with Abraham. In chapter 3, he's superior to what happened under Moses. In chapter 4, he's superior to Joshua. Then we go to Aaron the high priest, and then we go to the tabernacle. So here, we're looking at the Moses part of that. And and what I'd like you to see here is that verse 6 culminates a truth that brings together the fact of God dwelling among his people in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, and he describes it in the familiar word of a house. Look at verse 6 of Hebrews 3, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house. And then verse 5, that's comparing that to Moses. Moses was faithful in all the house, all of God's house, as a servant. So there's two comparisons here that help us to kind of grasp what's happening. There's a comparison first between Moses and Christ. That Moses, the lawgiver, served in God's house, the house of God, that that represents the fullness of his plan to bring about the opportunity for him to dwell among his people. And Christ is the son or the ruling heir over the house. And then look at how verse 6 ends. Whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. So there's a profound way that this chapter can help us see our opportunities in a new year in a new way. And that is to realize God's house here in this chapter, referring to his total plan for his people, all that he's building and developing, God has given us the promise that Christ is the son over this house. Now skip down to verse 12, and then we see an exhortation. Brethren, let 
take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. And then sandwiched in between that are five verses from the book of Psalms. And the one takeaway I'd like you to see on that very quickly is verse 7, the beginning of verse 7, where he says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay, so to put this together, we're being shown God has a house, he has a dwelling place. We're being warned not to lose sight of this great opportunity. And we hear from the Psalms an amazing thing about hearing from God. Notice the present tense of Hebrews 3.7, that the Holy Spirit is now speaking. Now, I want to put it to you like this, that in the text, there is a key word. It comes from Psalm 95, and it carries over to Hebrews 3 and 4, and the key word is today. And that's the operative word in these three sections. Today, you're in the house. You're in his house. And the supremacy of the Son of God ruling over the house means there's a present tense plan of God to develop his house. It's active. It's in the now. It's present. <laughs> then we can see from verse 7 that the Holy Spirit speaks in the Psalms. And yet the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews takes that quote in the present tense and gives it to us like this. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says this. Now, we all know it's very exciting to know that you can hear from God, isn't it? And yet we often forget that one of the characteristic marks of how God gave us his plan in the new covenant for God to dwell among his people and for his, his truth to be written into our hearts, the fleshly tables of the heart, all these wonderful truths. One of the reasons is that there is a power that God brings us directly through scripture that does not come any other way. Now, the Lord can speak to us in many different ways. We know that. He's, he's sovereign, and he can use all kinds of things to bring an impression or speak to us directly. He can speak audibly if he chooses to. But uh, when we come to the word of God, we realize, wait a minute. Rather than, rather than God's word from what he's given us eternally being like sort of second or third class, this is first class hearing from God. Because when the Lord says... In Hebrews 3, 7, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say in Psalm in a thousand years ago, 1100 years before the writing of Hebrews, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit said this in Psalms. No, he says the Holy Spirit, say it with me, says. He says it. It reminds me of something that Charles Spurgeon said, oh, back to about 1878. He wrote this. No one ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. So may I ask you, in 2022, do you believe that the Word of God, the grace and energy and power and hope that He brings us through His Word, can it be fresh and alive and relevant and applicable for you in 2022? Yes, because God has invested in his word this powerful truth that will enable you to tackle your todays. Now, 
Again, notice that a key word in Hebrews chapter 3 is today. He says, today if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Altogether in chapter 3 and 4, there's five mentions of today, today, today. It matches up with this scripture. Read from the screen if you would. 2 Corinthians 6. Now is the acceptable time. When is the acceptable time to put fresh trust in Christ as the son over God's house? When is the acceptable time to trust that God has good plans for you, just as the song we sang this morning, He's Good? When is the acceptable time? What's the opportune time for our hearts to be stirred to the very best in worship? When's the acceptable time for us to trust God for those obstacles that seem perplexing to us, that he is Lord over those obstacles, and that we can grow in Christ even when we don't fully understand the circumstances that we're walking through. This is the acceptable time. And then the latter part of that verse in 2 Corinthians 6 says, this very day, would you say that with me? And this very day is the day of salvation. So this is exactly what Hebrews 3 is saying. There's a today in your life. And I'd like to explore in the chapter of the third chapter of Hebrews how we might see anew tackling our todays. Now, we have a lot in common with anybody who's ever faced a new year, started a new year out, whether it's in good times or harsh times. And yet, often we think of our times maybe as more profoundly difficult or more perplexing than times of generations past. A quick glimpse into one of those times is maybe a helpful bit of a counter to that. In uh, the Christmas season of 1939, when, the, when the, the, the Nazi tyranny that was rapidly advancing and destroying civilizations in Europe had reached a point of dominance in which it became increasingly clear to the people of Great Britain that their days were numbered as a surviving republic if they didn't have some way to conquer this ominous enemy that was coming at them. And of course, all that took place in that time period is a classic example of what looked like overwhelmingly scary and impossible odds. King George VI also had personal problems that made it difficult for him to know how to rally the people of Great Britain in that era. And, of course, anybody who's seen the great movie, The King's Speech, knows all that story. But in his struggle with stuttering, King George had to go through um, rigorous preparations to make his Christmas Day 1939 radio address to the nation, which, different than it is these days, every ear was glued to one channel, not like it is now where... Uh, a, an address might be made and lots of people wouldn't even hear it. This was a phenomenal moment of uh, moving the mind and heart and soul of the British people. And in the king's speech, he included a quote from a brief poem for, by the name of, uh, by, by a lady named Minnie Louise Haskins that contained this section. And I said to the man who stead, stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. 
How many people have echoed or felt that need to get some light from God about the unknown that is before us? And as King George went on, quoting Minnie Louise Haskins, he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be for you better than light and safer than a known way. That capsulized the crisis moment of the, of the people of Great Britain in a time period in which the very, uh, we hear the word existential threat in our time, but they literally were facing an existential threat at that point in their history. Well, in many ways, if we think about what Hebrews chapter 3 tells us, we'll see here that Christ is far greater than Moses and far greater than any earthly monarch like King George. That Christ's work in the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension is the center of gravity of the entire book of Hebrews. All 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews center the truth of radical change in the hearts of believers around the fact of the active ascension of the Lord, his session at the right hand of God. The emphasis is on because of what was accomplished in the cross and the resurrection, now, present tense, he reigns. We hear it in chapter 1, verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We, we hear it in chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, when it says God's, God was glorified to bring many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation of the same human nature. It talks about the incarnation, as we've just seen in Christmas. And then here, in the beginning verses of this chapter, we see another reference to the purpose of his present tense heavenly ministry. He's called two things in verse 1. Look at it in your Bible. Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Would you say it aloud with me today, consider Jesus? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So here, Christ is called the sent one apostle and the high priest who carries out the mission for which he was sent. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it's interesting that there are seven different ways Jesus is referred to. Captain of our salvation, the, the, the monarch, the ruler, the high priest, the missionary, the apostle, in chapter 5, the mediator. In chapter 12, the author and the finisher of our faith. In chapter 9, the, the mediator again. And then in chapter 13, the great shepherd of the sheep. And in all of those descriptions, we're reminded that Jesus is present tense bringing the power of his presence into our lives. So the real upshot of this chapter is to begin today to trust him in this way. And I want to think of it in a different way because for many of us at the beginning of a new year, we can see if we're objective that one of the things that may have hindered us last year is that we defeated ourselves. We all can understand that comic strip Pogo when he said, I've met the enemy We've met the enemy, and it is us. 
Because for many times, we're self-sabotaging what we need in order to go forward. And even in that, we can receive from our great high priest, the mediator, the shepherd of the sheep, the author and the finisher of our faith, the power to outsmart ourselves. As I looked at the comparison in this chapter to the people wandering in the, children, in the wilderness, the children of Israel, I realized that one of the really abiding truths of Hebrews chapter 3 is that the wandering of the Israelites is a living object lesson of how a present-day believer may defeat him or herself by wandering around aimlessly, missing the very best that God has for them, and oftentimes getting tripped up by our own internal struggles. So I think that the disillusionment that many people feel in their personal experience is effectively addressed by looking at these wonderful truths of how Jesus, apostle and high priest, brings the present tense power of God to us when we understand we're part of his house. So the entire purpose of this whole chapter is like a tightly woven rope of hope that can rescue disillusioned souls. And we need to see why this is true. We need to see why. Why did he put that whole section of Psalm 95 right in the middle of this? Well, I believe what we have in this chapter is something that reflects a, a new way to see your goal for growth and your source of motivation in a new year. How does this work? Well, throughout the chapter, we're reminded that Jesus is actively bringing us these truths and that the decision to receive God's gift of hope abides within us. This is one of those chapters in the Bible that doesn't let us wiggle out from under the responsibility to believe, to trust, to accept that Christ has made this wonderful house, this house of God, not a house made with human hands, no, but the eternal plan of God to build his people as a family of the redeemed so that you can always know the Father's goals are secure and our great high priest guarantees that we'll be saved to the uttermost because we're trusting in him. So the, the vast, spacious, wide open spaces of opportunity to trust God are before you in this new year. Now, again, I wanted you to see the structure. Go back to your text and look at this middle section. You see, we saw the, the quote that comes from Psalm 95. And we might wonder now, as he says, Christ is the son over God's house, whose house are we if we trust him? And then it warns us against the evil heart belief, as we'll see. But why is this section of Psalm 95 so significant in the middle of chapter 3? Well, one reason is the psalm itself. And I, I wanted to give you a quick snapshot of it because it's really a, an unusual use of language in the psalm that helps us see why it's so relevant today. And that is that the psalm begins on this great jubilant note. Say it with me. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make 
joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That is a psalm like many other psalms that remind us of the, of the joy and the opportunity and, and the privilege and the life-changing dynamic of singing, praising God, bringing our lives to God. For them in that day, in the day of the Psalms, the house of God was that tabernacle of David there on Mount Zion. But that was a shadow of a greater reality, which is in Christ, that we bring our lives, we bring our hearts to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we're called to bring them joyously and praising God with expectancy. Why are we called to do that? Well, the seventh verse of the psalm says it like this. Because we are his people, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his fold. And then the psalm goes like this. Therefore, today. Say it with me. Therefore, today. And the warning section of that psalm opens up after this jubilant, joyous, and moving praise section, and it pivots around the word today. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not make the mistake of hardening your heart. The significance of today stands out so greatly because it gives us a window into the reason Christians should never divorce praise and worship from discipleship and spiritual growth and fellowship. They go together. They're interwoven. We need, even when we're hurting, even when we're disillusioned, even when we're disappointed, even when things look perplexing to us, we need the active, dynamic reality of praising God for who he is. And the warning of the psalm has an enduring impact to show us that the alternative to having a praising and, and acknowledging heart toward who God really is and even using our own lips to declare that, the alternative is that slowly a hardening will creep into our hearts and we'll begin to doubt things that we knew and had settled in our soul, but we begin to lose our sense of the immediacy of these truths. So back on Hebrews 3, if you'd look at your chapter now in that third chapter, I'd like you to think of it simply the truth that comes through in four, four ways. First, there's the house of God. That's that sixth verse. So think of it first. The house is a key theme here about why we can trust God today. Why today matters. Why you can tackle your todays in your life. The house of Christ's supreme reign. So we want to think about first about the house. Let me get my clicker right here again. Okay. We want to think first about the house. Secondly, the hazards. Hazards in verses 7 through 11. That's what that psalm is all about. And then thirdly, the heart, verse 12 to 14, deal with the heart issues that show us we're vulnerable every
move our heart in the direction of trust or let our heart drift into a place of spiritual aimlessness. The house of Christ is secure. The hazards are real. The heart is the issue. And the chapter concludes restoring hope, which is an eternal anchor for us. So let's think of these four like this. First of all, the house of Christ's supreme reign in verse 6 shows us, as I mentioned earlier, that it amplifies the superiority of Jesus. This little illustration kind of is designed to show that, that Jesus is the reality that Moses was the shadow. And that's consistent through the book of Hebrews. So you see this, that in this case, Moses is commended here. It's not that it's putting Moses down at all. It's saying in verse 5, Moses was very faithful to God, but he was a servant in the house. Whereas he who builds the house has greater honor than the house itself. And you and I have been brought by the redeeming blood of Christ, the power of his resurrection, to a relationship with God where in the present tense he's building his dwelling in the earth. He's building a people among whom he can dwell and move and use them. And this is not, friends about our heavenly house. Now, that's true, too. In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. That's the heavenly dwelling. But this passage is not talking about the heavenly dwelling. It's talking about, well, I should say it includes that. It's talking about the heavenly dwelling that impacts all of God's plan in this earth. This is an earthly or an earth-oriented promise. We are his house now. Now, one reason that it's obvious the writer of the Epistle was aiming at this is that uh, the recipients of this letter to the uh, this epistle were most likely a combination of Hebrew and Gentile Christians. Many scholars believe they were like other parts of the Roman Empire where there was a mixture, but probably predominantly, and some people would think maybe exclusively, people of a Jewish background. And there was a temptation when they faced disappointment and struggle and hardship, which they did, to return to a kind of religious practice that was based around putting trust in physical objects like the furniture of a tabernacle or like the rituals of a priest. And so some of the goal of this epistle was to liberate those believers from a false place of... um, distraction that would cause them to lose sight of the magnitude of who Christ is. So they were being schooled, really, in that that 7th century, the 7th decade of the 1st century, probably around 65, 66 AD. They were being schooled in an understanding of the superiority of the Lord Jesus over Moses, who was the lawgiver, Christ, the grace-empowering Messiah, Redeemer, Deliverer. And what he was showing them is, you're in the house now. You're in the house of God when you gather in a humble dwelling with fellow followers of Jesus. And maybe you're even in the catacombs of Rome, and maybe there's a a fish inscribed on the wall, and, and you're gathering around candles on the opening hours of the Lord's Day, and you're reading Scripture, and you're breaking bread, and partaking of the of the wine of communion, and you're singing a hymn to, to Christ, who is our Redeemer and our Savior, as uh, early Roman writers reflected those practices. 
So wherever it may be, you're the house. You know, in a small church like ours, it's one of our challenges. I've said this many times. Small congregations need to be schooled in the reality of the big picture. I sometimes jokingly say to people who I meet uh, for the first or second time when they ask about my church, I say something along the lines, we're a small church with a very big heart. Because God has given this congregation a big vision. That is to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that reflects the magnitude and the glory of who he is and acknowledges that God does the same powerful work among small congregations that he does in other types of settings. We should always know that. Well, the house of God, of course, is this wonderful fact of his ongoing redemptive work in the earth today, and you're in the house. Now, secondly, we see this chapter deals with the hazards of aimlessness. And the section from Psalm 95 in Hebrews 3, 7 to 11 deals with that. The aimlessness of those wanderers that Psalm 95 was talking about is that they were subject to being distracted from great promises God had given them because of the hardships of the journey. And really, we might put it this way, that um, just like this little cartoon illustrates, there's a, there's a map, there's a wilderness map, and if you look at the design of the map, there's all these kind of winding roads going every which way. And many people feel that way in their own Christian life, that uh, they've gone around that mountain before. This chapter is aimed to tell us that in Christ and his presence in the house, dwelling with you, dwelling among you, guiding you, you're never on a winding path. You are on a straight trajectory as you trust him. You may not be able to see it. We've been on long trips at times where you drive into a place where you're riding in a long section of forest and you really can't see anything except the road directly in front of you, especially at nighttime. God wants us to see the magnitude of living and walking with Christ as his ever-present light. And the way we do it is by bringing these promises into the now, the today aspect. Read it aloud with me again because it reverberates in this chapter. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This word today then, as it's woven here, it points the disillusioned believer to the present tense reality of choosing, choosing. The response to the hazardous dangers of getting off track, of losing our way, of losing our orientation, is to trust that what God already said applies to your life in the now. And we see an application of that in verse 13. Let your eyes just run down quickly so we can do this together to notice that Verse 13 gives you a specific application into the relationships in our lives, including your family, your co-workers, your church, your community, um, that is equivalent to our personal goals. And, that, and the truth is that the word today is like a door opening, and you see it in your Bible in verse 13, but encourage one another day after day. And I love this line, don't you? As long as it is called today. That's one of my favorite lines 
uh, in, in the entire book of Hebrews. As long as it is called today. How often is it called today? <laughs> That's how often we should be encouraging people around us. I like the way Zig Ziglar put it one time when he said, to, he said, yesterday ended last night. Today is a brand new day. Very simple, but it's true. Yesterday ended last night, and everything that you might have thought about or anticipated is over. It's time to start today. The todayness of the gospel is a powerful motivational force. It's one we've even seen in the life of our church, and I've said this many times as well in the past, that sometimes people have bad experiences with churches. Have you noticed that sometimes? And they get feelings hurt about their church relationships. And I've often said to, to people, you know, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that every Sunday morning is a brand new opportunity for churches to thrive. They need not be mired in the uh, perplexities of the past. The good news of the gospel has an evergreen, effervescent, fresh application to every single person in the world. It's one of the reasons a church with an open heart and open doors and an open attitude can be such a breath of fresh air to people. And we hear this so many times from people who find that freshness and that vitality here at Liberty. Read this translation, though, from uh, verse 13 from the uh, J.B. Phillips translation. I like this. It says, encourage each other every day while it is still called today, and beware that none of you become deaf and blind to God through the delusive glamour of sin. J.B. Phillips' translation of that brings that, that um, beware of an evil heart of unbelief, and he paraphrases it like this, beware that none of you become deaf and blind to God through the deceitfulness of sin. So, here again, what we see is in the house, remember the house, we're in the house, God uses friends, encouragement, exhortation, loving words of support, as well as a friendly warning at times. Don't, don't let, lose sight of what God has for you, an encouragement. Uh, come alongside a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And yes, in, when, when sin enters into the question, there's a place for for a godly and, and gracious confrontation to say, I don't want to see you go down this path. I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll see you through this. Let's, let's move beyond that. Let's move out of that. Let me walk with you. That's part of the beauty of being in the house. Now, in this truth of the house is Christ's reign over all the redeemed, the hazards are out there, the hazard of wandering aimlessly, and the, the heart issues have to do with inner decisions we make. Now, there are four decisions that are emphasized with imperatives in this text. If we, I found it intriguing as I got into these four because these four action words, each of the Greek words has a kind of a picturesque way of looking at this that I, I tried to capture quickly, and I'll do it very quickly in a kind of a thumbnail sketch fashion. But notice the first imperative of the text in verse 1 is consider... Christ or contemplate or fix your eyes on him and the Greek word has the idea of bring it down bring this truth down into your own heart I smiled when I read it and so I said it like this download this <laughs> download what you're getting in this chapter just like you do when you download something into your computer the second uh, imperative of the text is verse 6 
where he said, we are his house if we hold fast the confession of our faith. And that, again, the Greek expression there, the imperative verb, has this picture of, of uh, grabbing it and holding it. I think of it as grasping it. So let's say the four imperatives of Hebrews 3 would be this. Download this truth. Grasp it. That is, don't let go. Third, verse 12, is watch out. Take heed to your own tendency for your heart to wander. And then the fourth imperative is that word exhort in verse 13. And the Greek term there really has kind of a dual meaning, urge and encourage. We often hear it just as encourage, but it's actually urge and encourage. The idea is, brothers and sisters in Christ in the kingdom, there's a place for loving Certainly encouragement and comfort, that's great, but also urging others on. Don't get distracted. Don't lose heart. Don't lose your way. There's a loving nurturing and admonition that comes through here, just as it is for parents in the home. So you see, the reason I'm saying all this is these hard issues, what these hard issues show us is that we're being given a compelling call from Christ To seize the day. Hebrews chapter 3 is our carp diem chapter. Seize the day. It's yours. Today, this very day, you can arise. And we see that amplified in a very significant uh, explanation that wraps up this paragraph in the chapter. He goes on to tell them that the reason for this warning, the reason it's so urgent is that just as the Israelites wandered from their purpose, because they ceased believing God, you too can fall into that same trap. Now let's look at the positive and the negative quickly of what it means to believe. So the word believe, pistuo is the Greek term there, it means to have an inner persuasion. And when we flesh it out in the Bible from Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, from what Jesus said to the disciples in John 8.31, the disciples that were believing on him and many of the Jews that were believing on him, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. When we put it together, we find faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that real faith, Bible faith, is a persuasion that gets rooted down inside by the revealed plan and provision of God. It begins to settle down inside of you. It downloads. And the software of God's promises gets activated in your internal computer. You become persuaded, even though, as Hebrews 11.1 says, even though it's evidence of things not yet seen. But that That persuasion, well, that helps us understand the last verse of this chapter. Zip your eyes down to that closing verse. What we see, actually the last two, we see two verbs in verse 18 and 19 that help us realize why this was so important. Let me give you a quick preview of this. Verse 18 tells us that, um, and to whom did he ever say that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient so we see the conclusion of the chapter is what so we see they couldn't enter God's rest this great place of 
fulfilled promises, they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. It's notable that this chapter started by saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, and the last word of this chapter is unbelief, the warning of unbelief. Now, here's how these two verbs work together. It's quite interesting. If you see it like this, 18 and 19, they're very similar verbs, and they complement each other, or they're synchronized together. Verse 18 speaks of those who disobeyed. Verse 19 speaks of a persistent unbelief. And both of them have this uh, characteristic. They're the negation of a positive truth. Let me do it like this. Patho is the word for obey, fulfill, follow. And the A in front of it is the opposite. So it is a disobedience. Well, the similar thing happens here with the word pistio, that is to believe. And that is that unbelief is the opposite of this. It is the ah part. The A before this powerful verb of faith is the A of negation. It's an opposing force. So to negate faith is to choose against God's grace. We, we can easily drift into unbelief, but the text is really telling us that unbelief is a choice. That unbelief is the result of choosing not to hear, receive, respond. What Back in verse 7, the Holy Spirit is saying present tense. The present tense impact of the Holy Spirit's word in Psalm 95 continues to this very moment when the scripture is telling us we can indeed break out of patterns of disillusionment. Why? Because God has put in us the capacity to choose. So he concludes it by saying, yes, it's all too plain. It's all too plain that it was refusal to trust God that prevented them from entering into his rest. But the positive side is, finally, that not only do we have Christ as Lord over our house, he, he leads us through the hazards of aimlessness. He shows us that our heart is vulnerable, but that it pivots around choice. And God gives us a hope that's eternally secure. It says it like this in verse 6, If indeed, say it with me, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. As you go into the bright uh, opportunities of 2022, I hope in some way what you could take from Hebrews 3 is that God's house for you is the vast arena that God has opened up for your faith in Christ to flourish. His house is a big house. Didn't he say that about the house in heaven, my father's house, where many dwellings? Well, the earthly aspect of the house is also full of many dwellings. God has a vast place of opportunity for you. I would love to see us go out today with a deep persuasion. There are things that I've tripped myself up on. I've self-sabotaged. 
I've made mistakes in my own life that have tangled me up. But there's no need to wander. There's no need to be aimless. I can be driven by a God-given, grace-empowered goal to see this vast open space of fresh possibility because Christ is reigning in our house. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that as we pray today, many people would have a particular aspect of this for them that would be would be difficult in if 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 it weren't for your word. It would be difficult for us to understand how can I overcome an obstacle that I've tripped over many times before. Lord, may the fresh vitality of today, the todayness of your word, the present tense work of the Holy Spirit bring alive to every heart that our hearts are a factory of choosing. Our hearts are organically designed for choosing. And we, by your God, by your grace, you're giving us this vast, open, spacious place of our new year to choose wisely and well for the glory of our King. Amen.